Hello, and thank you for checking out this episode of Season 2 of the From the Frontline podcast. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a key voice from the NHS or social care to discuss some of the key challenges and changes that impact the treatment and care we all receive. Throughout this podcast series, we'll be answering some of the big questions which face health and social care today, such as why are there massive delays in A&E, how do we beat the NHS winter crisis, and what can we do to make the future of digital health accessible for all. We hope that you'll finish each episode knowing a little bit more about the major NHS headlines and what needs to change if we are to deliver the best possible care for everyone in the UK. The From the Frontline podcast is brought to you by PLMR Healthcoms, who are part of the PLMR group. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the From the Frontline podcast. Um, we are delighted to be joined by David Lawson, uh, Director of Medical Technology at the Department for Health and Social Care today. David, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, we're excited to talk about the government's medtech strategy today, um, which I think it is fair to say was welcomed by the med- medical technology sector as an indication of the government's commitment to medtech um, and its key strategic aims for this vital part of the care that the NHS delivers. I suppose just as a starting point for our conversation, it would be great to just get a sense as to, from your perspective, why it was important that the department published this strategy um, and also what you hope it will achieve. Thanks, Matthew, and thank you for inviting me to, to, to speak at, on the podcast. I mean, I guess from my perspective, it's the first med tech strategy that the government have published. So I think it's, I think it hopefully signals the importance or recognises the importance of med tech and particularly in terms of the way I articulate it is in terms of being able to influence the kind of end-to-end patient pathway. So if you if you think of med tech, it kind of touches um, the whole pathway from diagnostics through to treatments, through to aftercare, through to prevention. So it has the ability to be quite transformative um, across that patient pathway. So I think just having the strategy formally published and launched hopefully provides a, a, a almost like a signal, uh, a recognition of, of the importance of medtech. Um, I think the other context also is, and also in terms of what we're trying to achieve, is this year in particular is, I think, quite a key year for medtech in the UK because in parallel to the medtech strategy, you've also got the work to update the regulatory framework for medical devices. And that provides a, a massive opportunity, I think, for the UK in particular to position itself within medtech. And both the work around the regulatory framework and the medtech strategy are both trying to so- solve that, that big challenge around innovation and in particular around the challenge of innovation adoption. Um, so what are we trying to achieve from the strategy? From my perspective, we want to try and we want to try and solve that challenge around innovation adoption in particular. Just interested in that point that you raised um, around the impact that medtech has on all parts of the patient pathway. Um, I made particular note of the strategy's emphasis on um, a more holistic view of procurement, I suppose, um, and seeks to take a view of a medical device based much more on its long-term value 
and on its impact on patient outcomes. I suppose just with this in mind, I just wonder how you envisage this uh, change of emphasis, I suppose, how you imagine it will impact the procurement of medical technology practically, I suppose, um, and what results we might expect to see in terms of the way that medical technology is procured in the NHS? So it's a great question. I, mean, I, I guess the context also for me personally is I've come from a procurement background, so I was previously Chief Procurement Officer at, at Guys and Tommies, so I've, I've been in an NHS procurement role for over 21 years, so um, in many ways, I'm I'm kind of poacher term gamekeeper um, when 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 you think of procurement. The the interesting thing about procurement is, is when and also when people talk about value and and I guess in from a procurement perspective, people then talk about value based procurement or value based healthcare. And I guess one of the challenges I find is a lack of consistency of approach. So different parts of the system, whether it's at a national level or a trust level, will have different kind of interpretations or definitions of what they mean by value, value-based procurement. So one of the key things around this, the, the MedTech strategy and um, thinking around innovation, innovation adoption, is to try and get some clarity and to get some consistency of approach. And if there's consistency of approach, that should make it easier for industry to be able to interact with the system with the nhs at multiple levels if they know what they're being assessed against what information they need to provide so a key key aspect for me with the med tech strategy is to is to provide some consistency of process consistency of approach um to, to kind of streamline um that that, that, that kind of pathway and, about kind of innovation pathway um, what will it mean or should mean for for med tech and procurement i mean hopefully it should mean there is more adoption at scale of products which have got clear evidence that they, that, that they can deliver a, an additional benefit at the moment there's lots of examples of good innovation which has been adopted in one part of the system, but for different reasons, hasn't been scaled up. Um, so hope, the hope is that, that we can try and sort out some of the kind of basics around consistency of process in order to, to provide the opportunity for those you know, good innovation, innovation that meets our needs to, to start to be adopted um, more consistently and also to be adopted quicker as well. I think um, that was one thing that I picked up in my reading of the strategy was uh, this po this focus really on making the medtech landscape, I suppose, easier to navigate, um, but also um, creating clarity on the distinction between what I would probably call true innovation and claimed innovation and having benchmarks in place between the two. Um, it's, it's one of those situations where nothing is innovative if everything is claimed to be innovative. And I suppose establishing that benchmark between the, those two is something that really stood out for me in my reading of the document. I suppose implied in the need for that clarity and consistency is 
um, a recognition that at present things are very inconsistent, um, but also there's a um, acknowledgement of the sheer scale of the medtech landscape currently, and the sheer volume of products that are on the on the market. Just thinking practically in terms of the implementation of um, the desire to um, create consistency and clarity around medtech and what can be deemed as true innovation, it would be great to just get your sense as to the timelines that might be involved in that process, um, how you imagine that working practically and what sort of timelines are you looking at for that implementation? We don't have the luxury to spend a lot of time thinking about this before we do stuff. We, I think there's a level of pressure to move quickly into action, partly because of the pressures on the system and because medtech has the opportunity to, to you, know, you know, help help contribute to solving those pressures. So we don't have the luxury of time and there's so there is a sense of urgency in terms of timetable from the strategy we are intending to publish an implementation plan by early summer which will set out kind of priority initiatives across each of the the four pillars of you know resilience innovation enabling infrastructure and special market topics so that will provide clarity of kind of action the, the key thing for this year for me is th th there's some kind of basic what I'd call kind of plumbing issues that, that we, we've identified, particularly around the data. So that, that section on the strategy around enabling infrastructure, that's the challenge we have is, as you kind of pointed to, that, that the sheer scale of med tech and, and the challenge we have within that context is also a lack of visibility. So there's some basic, uh, what I'll describe as plumbing issues that we need to sort out to improve our visibility to then inform um, how, you know, what we prioritise. But the other thing that will give momentum this year is also that parallel work around updating the regulatory framework. And there's, a, you know, the commitment from the Life Science Council late last year to, to revisit the approach um, around the reg regulatory framework with a particular focus on innovation. So that's due, due to come back and the initial readout subject to you know ministerial approval is is imminent. It's um it's next month that that that, that there's a planned um announcement about what what we think the new regulatory framework should set out. So I think that's why in terms of when, when you ask a question about timeframes, this year, 2023, will be quite key in terms of making some early positive statements around the regulatory framework, but in parallel, putting some positive work around getting some of the basic plumbing right and getting people around the table to sort out the, the, the other issues that we've kind of mentioned. So particularly around that challenge around innovation adoption simplifying that innovation pathway so you've got a greater clarity industry will have greater clarity from kind of pre pre-market engagement with the regulator through all the way to adoption um, that's what 
we need to do. And if we can get some of that basics kind of sorted through, at least in principle this year, then that provides um, a good kind of foundation to then to move forward. So I'm not sure if I've answered your questions precisely, but I think the, the, the main message is that there is pressure for a kind of an, an, an action-based approach um, over uh, certainly this calendar year. No, that's really helpful. And um, I'd love to pick up on that point that you raised about the need to get people around the table. Uh, and you mentioned industry in, in particular in that regard. I noted from the MedTech strategy that um, there was um, uh, notice of that perhaps the government's current relationship with industry is one that perhaps looks quite sporadic and a little bit transactional at a time and might actually lack a sense of strategic oversight and direction more broadly. And um, I think I was particularly encouraged by the strategy's note to kind of improve that level of integration and working collaboratively with industry um, at a strategic level, I suppose. It'd be great to get your sense as to why you think the relationship between government and industry is currently the way it is as a starting point. Um, but then also how you imagine that more structured relationship with industry working in practice going forward. I think med tech historically hasn't had the same profile as say medicines. So the very fact that the med tech directorate within the department is only 18 months old, it's, it's, it's a new directorate in itself kind of speaks to that. The where medicines is, is, for a long period had had a kind of long-standing presence, I guess, in, from a governmental point of view. Medtech, in comparison, is quite new, new to it. So that in itself makes it, may help explain why the, the engagement with industry has been, as you say, more sporadic, because there hasn't been that kind of, um, that kind of policy team in place to, to try and bring things together the and i think it's arguably is only with brexit when the importance of medtech from a pure supply chain availability perspective was kind of identified and then you had the pandemic it's only so it's only in recent times that that, that i think the importance of medtech has has become more visible and then on top of that, you've got the pace of new innovation. So although medicines obviously continues to innovate, um, there's a huge amount of innovation coming from med tech, particularly around digital digital health. So I've, but historically, that wasn't the case. So I think there's something about where we are today in terms of post-Brexit, post-pandemic, new era around digital health which is almost like the stars were aligning and so the importance of med tech is becoming more obvious and more clear and because of that therefore there's a recognition of the need to invest in that relationship with industry you've also got the context of the the life science vision and the need and recognition that 
there are some particular strengths within the UK around life sciences and around med tech and if, but we can't be complacent and we need to invest in relationships with industry to not just protect the kind of life sciences within the UK but also build on them and and and, and to grow and expand and make the UK kind of go to kind of kind of, kind of location so I think the engagement with industry isn't just about how best to sell to the NHS, how best to get new innovation to NHS patients as quickly as possible. There's also a broader dialogue and engagement with industry about how to position the UK as a centre for innovation, use the UK as a, a kind of platform to you know, go to market globally but use the UK as a, as, as a first-to-market country. Um, so all those factors may, mean that having a strategic relationship makes more sense. Um, but it's going to require um, a, a, a kind of joined-up approach, and it's about having those different agencies in the room, so whether that's across the regulator, MHRA, into NICE, into NHS England, into NHS supply chain. Um, and, and you then got the Department, Department of Health and Social Care. We've also got the Office of Life Science as well. Um, so I guess to answer the question, why is it being more transactional today? I think the circumstances of, of, of were different. And whereas now, I think the, the circumstances mean that a strategic relationship is is clearly what's required and it's what industry wants as well. Um, so I'm not sure if that answered your question. Hopefully it did. No, oh, I think it did. Oh, really helpful. Thank you, David. Um, I want to finish on um, a point around what I saw to be a kind of running theme of the strategy, which was the importance and perhaps increased priority of the environmental sustainability of medtech going forward. Um, I thought that this kind of stood out both in terms of some of the resilience pieces that you've mentioned in terms of localizing manufacturing capability, um, but also in terms of um, what I think the strategy calls a kind of broader life cycle mentality when it comes to the adoption um, and potential reuse and recycling of med tech. Um, I can only imagine from a procurement standpoint, the number of competing priorities when it comes to selecting a particular piece of medical technology to fit a particular need. But I would just, it would be great to get your senses to a, any personal reflections on the importance of environmental sustainability going forward on NHS procurement but also how you see environmental sustainability fitting in with some of the other priorities, I suppose, when it comes to NHS procurement. We've mentioned patient safety. We've mentioned um, cost benefit to the taxpayer. It'd be great to just get a sense of how all these different priorities fit together, I suppose. I think from a personal perspective, my experience around sustainability is particularly around supply chain management and I've always said that the most unsustainable thing a hospital can do is to buy uh, a product, put it on a shelf, 
and then three years later see that that it's expired and then incinerate it unused and that happens quite a lot currently um, due to um, the risk of expiry because you know med tech products in in the main are in sterile packaging that has a that has an expiry date so there's a huge issue around good supply chain management um and and there's a there's almost like a hidden cost around the amount of product that is simply incinerated and used every year um so that's my kind of personal kind of experience around around inventory management and, and it's linked to sustainability i think in terms of the strategy the the pillar one around resilience is where we've kind of linked into the kind of circular economy perspective and trying to move towards a position where we're we're less reliant on that huge volume of single-use consumables dependent on extended supply supply chains where stuff is kind of kind of coming from the other side of the world and so encouraging more of a circular model um as well as being good for the environment is very good for resilience uh, but the the other area it also comes up in is also is around data and visibility and to my point around the, the risks around inventory control we're looking at um having better visibility over assets in terms of linking different asset management systems around uh what NHS trusts use, but we could also expand that concept to the different inventory systems that trusts use, and that would give us visibility over uh, stop turn stop turns around the country, which would then identify where there's opportunity for or risk of waste. So sustainability kind of pops up in different parts of the strategy, um, which it, it, in a way it should do. It should be embedded in terms of the the approach we, the, the approach we take. The key thing for me on the more general point around applying it into procurement goes back to the point around how to apply value-based procurement. And it's, I think it's that importance of consistency of approach so that from an industry perspective, they're, they're clear what we require as our, as our standards and, and therefore can adjust, but it's done in a consistent way and they're getting a consistent message from different parts parts of the system. The, the other aspect for me is that some of this stuff requires investment, so particularly around resilience as well, it requires an investment. So it's important that as a system that we reward those companies that invest in this, you know, whether it's around resilience in general or around sustainability, we need to make sure that when we're making buying decisions that we're rewarding those companies that invest proactively um, in those policy priorities that we, we have set out as in being important and if we don't reward then what incentive is there for industry to invest in those areas so um, when i've spoken to industry they they want to do the right thing um, but i think they would expect that the system also rewards them um, and recognises that that commitment. Um, so, so I think it's important that we are consistent and clear to industry what we require, but equally that we reward good 
good good good practice and good and and, and good approaches. David, it's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, really grateful for your time. You mentioned a couple of uh, pieces of ongoing work there. I'm thinking particularly around the implementation strategy, um, which I'm sure we will all be looking out for and, and will follow closely. So um, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Matthew. Um, look forward to speaking in the future, hopefully. Thank you for listening to this episode of the From the Frontlines podcast. If you have any thoughts about our conversation or would like to get involved in a future episode, please email fromthefrontline at healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. If you'd like to chat about our work as one of the UK's top health and social care public affairs agencies, please visit our website, healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. Thanks again for listening.